Welcome to another episode of The Cubic Report. Our guest today is Steve Buchanan, who was on this podcast several weeks ago. His first appearance was very well received, was very popular among people who have known him, because he talked about a lot of our common history and common memories that we have. We have appreciated having him come here again to talk about a topic that I feel is very, very timely and one that we're all connected with or have some knowledge of. But Steve and I have known each other for four decades as we have tracked parallel in our ministries. So welcome to the podcast, Steve. Yeah, Vic, thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to get into this topic today. It's uh, something I think is very important and Obviously, as you mentioned, one that I'm very close to from a physical standpoint, uh, living 60 miles from the Mexican border. Right. You'll have comments that even had possibly from what's in the news. We'd like to talk about the border crisis, which is a hot topic in your area. It's a hot topic for the entire nation. Steve is very, very close to ground zero. I have a great interest in the subject of immigration as well, because I am an immigrant. My parents were World War II refugees. I was born in the United Nations refugee camp in Hanover, Germany, and emigrated to the U.S. in 1949, almost at the age of two. And I lived among immigrants and became a U.S. citizen along with my parents. I, I, I feel very, very strongly about the fact that we came over in the manner that we did, and that we have come to a new country, and that we have been assimilated and have become Americans. Even when I identify myself and people in back in the former USSR, when they refer to me as not as one of them, but as an American of Ukrainian descent. And I'm proud of the fact that I'm an American, an American citizen, and have the blessings of this country. So I thought I would just say a say that here at the beginning, because I do have a passionate interest in it. And also, I have crossed over many, many borders. I have traveled to 50, over 50 countries in the world. I have seen what it's like to cross different borders, have different levels of security. And so what I see happening here on the southern border of the United States is, is uh, very, very disconcerting and troubling. So, Steve, I feel it would be very good if you could describe the border crisis, give us a little bit of an overview, because you're very close to it, and how it's affecting the lives of so many citizens. Well, yeah, I'd I'd like to get into that, but I'd also like to echo your comments regarding immigration, because, you know, I'm pretty well aware of your story. I've heard it, you know, a number of times, and it kind of mirrors some of the, um, you know, from a different part of the world a little bit, but... uh, my family it was also a family of immigrants coming from scotland my dad immigrated to this nation when he was only three years old with his family i think they were sponsored from scotland from uh, the area of greenwich scotland and um, actually my parents met during the war as my father was as an american gi training for d-day and went up to see his family up in scotland on furlough had a chance meeting with his eventual wife and they got married after the war. My mother and father got married in 1947. And uh, my mother went back to Scotland, uh, not knowing that she was pregnant after, you know, somewhat uh, shortly after marriage. And uh, my brother was actually born in Scotland. My brother, Hugh, who hmm. you knew that, that my mother was debating an inheritance she had with her family and uh, never did get it. But my brother was born in Scotland, so he had dual citizenship for, uh, you know, up until he was 21. So it's it's interesting that you mentioned your pride in American citizenship. And I think that's been the history of the United States, right, that uh, we are a nation of immigrants. And it seems as though God has brought all of us here and we all assimilated to accept the same ideals and the same laws and the same morals and values and that sort of thing, you know, the kind of accepting the American dream and plugging into what America is all about, which, which is another great story all of itself. But mm-hmm. uh, what we're seeing now is, is not that. It's, uh, it, it's nothing like that. Your parents came legally. It was a very tough road. It was very, very difficult after World War II for many people, uh, especially from, uh, from Europe. And, you know, Europe had to be rebuilt. And uh, but thank God, you know, your family was able to uh, come to the United States and become successful and, you know, like so many other people have been. And 
uh, the people who have come to the United States who really accepted it as a notion, as a as a kind of a model for life, and actually obeyed its laws and really worked hard, benefited from it, and benefited so many other people, and benefited the nation as well. So, what we're seeing now is the total antithesis of that. That when my parents came over, and that this is so very vivid in my memory, as I remember what they did to prepare to become citizens of the United States after they got here. They had to learn the language. And I remember them not knowing any words. I didn't know either. We only spoke Ukrainian at home. And they drilled each other on getting a basic understanding of the English language. They had to know who the governor of Minnesota was. They had to know who the president of the country was. They had to know who the congressman was. They had to know these things. They had to know the three divisions of the American government, executive, legislative, and judicial. And that was just part of the education. They had to have a basic understanding of English. And then when they came, they had to, be, when they received their citizenship, the language used to be far stronger uh, in the wording at that time, that they had to renounce any connection <laughs> with loyalty to any former governments. It wasn't like, well, I'm come over here and I'm still a whatever, and I am now loyal to the government of the United States. So please go ahead. Yeah, it's amazing you say that. In 1959 or 1960, my own mother was naturalized as a citizen, and she had to pass tests, you know, to be able to. And, and in our small town in Western Maryland, she was always looked upon as a foreigner. I mean, but uh, because she had a, you know, fairly thick Scottish accent still for much of her life. But, you know, even up until recently, um, before I retired from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, one of the doctors that I called upon was of Turkish descent, and she also had to pass tests, and she had to renounce her citizenship to uh, Turkey and become an American citizen. She was so very proud once she finally became an American citizen. And uh, what we see today is we still have all of those things in the background, and there's still some people who are leaving desperate circumstances but I'd like to introduce from a 40,000-foot view, Vic, something to consider, uh, maybe for you, maybe for your audience, regarding, you know, if, we, if we're going to look at this from maybe a prophetic overview as well mm -hmm. and wonder what the consequences are and why it is happening, I think that you and I came into the church in a time and a generation in which when we looked at you know, major prophecies like Matthew 24 and the signs of preceding Jesus Christ coming. I, I don't know necessarily, I can't speak for everybody, I don't know that we necessarily all had the same worldview as to how this would happen, but I mean, when we saw the things like, you know, disease and epidemics and wars and rumors of wars and all that sort of thing that Jesus talked about to his disciples, we probably thought it was going to happen by accidental error, human error, you know, an organic development of piece by piece by piece and finally accelerating, you know, into world conflagration or that sort of thing. But what if we take certain prophecies of the Bible and ask the question, what if this is deliberate and planned? Mm -hmm. In other words, what we see is a veritable invasion in the United States now, not just trickle immigration or whatever. But what if we think about the prospect that maybe this is a deliberate thing? And that's and what I mean by that is that when Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy that there would be perilous times in the end mm -hmm. and that there would be evil men waxing worse and worse, and then perhaps combining that thought with what Paul told the Ephesians, that there is a prince of the power of the air— and he works in the sons of disobedience. What that means then is that ungodly men receive that, whatever you want to call that, that spiritual influence of the devil in a greater way than people that, you know, just are out in society and they, they uphold the laws of the nation and that sort of thing. So from a 40,000 foot view, we know that mass migration or replacement immigration has been a goal of the United Nations for a number of years. They've removed some of the papers they, and white papers, but Europe has experienced this. The United States is now experiencing this. 
I'm not I'm not saying, hey, let's let's have this as a theory and let's go with it. But let's think about it. Maybe this is the major reason we see what is happening in the United States, because we know that, you know, you are very proud as an American citizen. I've been very proud. Our parents were very proud members of of the the American ideal. And we know that at least in its most noble form, it has prevented tyranny through the last hundred years or so. Mm-hmm. But if there's not that obstacle in the way, then it, it opens up the pathway to further developments in, 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 in evil men and what they want to do. Because the United, the United States is what is preventing, you know, ultimate chaos in the world. And what we see happening in the border is just chaotic. I mean, it's just... It's just just unbelievable. It's on a, such a scale that it's it's almost unimaginable. Well, it's insane. It's insane as to what's happening, and it's just insane as to why it's even being allowed. Why would anybody, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever, allow this type of thing to happen to our nation? It's exactly right. And when you look and review some of the the prophecies, like Hosea and Micah and Amos. It shows that the leaders of the people of Israel are the ones that are more responsible for the decadence and the decay than anyone else. And we, we've always focused on the common man and, you know, the, the, the problems of immorality or whatever it is among the common mm-hmm. person. But, you know, right next door to me in the house next door is a wonderful person. Three doors down, I've got, I've got neighbors all around me. You do, too. There are people that they haven't been touched necessarily with the gospel message like we have, but they're good people. Mm-hmm. But when we take a look at the leadership within the nation, we see a lot of bad actors. Now, there are a lot of good people that want to give their lives to public service. I think we all recognize that. You can find some of those. But we see the old saying is follow the money. And it's not a coincidence that whether they're Republican or Democrat, people go to serve in office and they're average guys. I mean, they're making they're making an average salary. And then six years later, after three terms in Congress, they're millionaires. So, <laughs> I mean, they're exempted from insider trading. They get they get all the knowledge and, you know, they get money from corporations and they can keep some of that as personal money. I mean, it's it. it it echoes what the prophets are saying about taking bribes and perverting justice and all that sort of thing. So I think we have to really consider the aspect of prophecy and biblical fulfillment and the beginning of these sorrows and problems that we're seeing now within this nation as evil men, evil men and their agendas. And the more people begin to disobey and go after other gods, so to speak, the more I think they're susceptible to this influence that uh, the devil is there. And I think we understand that from the time of this nation, I mean, it's, it's meteoric rise to prominence as well as the English-speaking peoples around the world. It's, 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 it's always engendered jealousy, and mm-hmm. I think that we're we're seeing that come to full term now, and we may be be at the beginning. And I think it's important for not only our our own people, our friends and families in the church of God, in the greater community of the church of God to recognize this, but as much as we possibly can to help people to understand what's really happening in the world today. And that's exactly right. I do believe that jealousy is a very, very huge factor and coveting, which follows, or coveting and jealousy together, that they work towards motivate people to take it away from you. I mean, it's in every society, but what America has is coveted so much, and that's why people hate us. They may hate us for reasons that they uh, say are different from what the reality is, but that's the reason that they hate us because of jealousy. To me, I'd like to do more study of the subject of jealousy because it really has affected so much of what happens between nations. It's incredible. I mean, uh, in in Central and South America, I think that in some cases, not in every case, but because, uh, you know, I think we all have known people from all lands, you know, all nations who are wonderful people we've had the opportunity to meet. But the there has been a powerful influence of jealousy stirred among peoples in various regions and maybe in some cases because our government has been involved in their governments and you know even we know now that we've plotted and overflowed the over over uh, overthrown governments through the cia involvement and and that sort of thing throughout the world so 
it's no wonder that, you know, in some cases that jealousy has been there. On the other hand, though, there's been this ideal of America, which a lot of these let's let's separate the well-meaning migrants and illegal immigrants uh, arrest from the bad actors that are obviously a part of this whole mass migration and say that many of them I've seen some of them in airports who are like uh, families now these are in my view the smallest group of illegal immigrants but they've arrived here with more noble means or more noble ideals than than most and they're confused. I mean, they're very, I've seen some families who are just, you know, they don't know which way they're going. They've been given money. They have plane tickets to somewhere, but they don't speak the language, but they have been uh, inundated perhaps for much of their lives with this idea that, you know, all you have to do is show up on these shores and things are going to be great. It's going to be like utopia. It's like America has been portrayed by the media, by, by, TV shows or whatever, as this land of plenty that it, it almost just is like falling off a truck and you're going to be rich, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, those folks, I think we have maybe the greatest amount of sympathy for because they've been misled. Right. And it's just very unrealistic. In, in my work, in my nonprofit work, and especially working with nations that are very struggling economically or politically, uh, in particular Ukraine, that uh, people have asked me, I've had various ones approach me, help me get to the U.S. Now, I have actually sponsored people to come to the U.S. in legal in, in a legal manner, where uh, one person won a a green card lottery, you know, which the State Department uh, sponsored, and they said, well, we have access to the U.S., but we still need a sponsor. Would you be our sponsor? And I had went through that whole process. It was quite elaborate. I had to I had to tell them how much money I had to, I had to agree to watch out for their interests for a while. And, and it was uh, quite a process in, in doing that. And it's interesting that when they did come over, they lived here for two, three years, and then they went back to Ukraine because they missed their, well, they missed their family. I've also had other people that had said, now that we can come across the border, would you help us to get through uh, Mexico? And I said, really, I just do not want to get involved in that. I, I really honestly don't. And a third case I had, which is very interesting, is that uh, one family arrived through Mexico before the war in Ukraine started. And they lived in the southern state. And then they have contacted me to ask if I could help them get out of the country. They had no documentation. I mean, they lived in the United States. You know, they came in illegally. And now I had the craziest request. Can you help deport us? <laughs> and it was hard. It was it was hard to get to get them deported. Finally, the man went back to Poland and Ukraine. But it's interesting how confusing all these things have become. And I, I know that even visiting my relatives back in Ukraine, uh, it, it was kind of a sad thing because, you know, they had their life. They had their families. We had a family reunion in the 80s, late 80s. But the first thing that they knew about us because my mother got to come to the U.S., and that was through war, that... Uh, we must live like kings, and how big is your house? And with, literally within minutes of greeting them, they asked me, how much money do you make? I mean, it was a good conversation starter. And yeah, that's like, <laughs> wow, the most personal thing that could be asked. And it's right up front. And so that, to me, it just showed you know, how, how they think. Well, we, we've, you know, the, the uh, what was the book written, The Ugly American, we've probably done, done no favors for ourselves in some of the ways that... Uh, Americans have conducted themselves overseas, but it's just, you know, with the media, it has created this false paradigm that uh, somehow or another, all you have to do is show up and you're going to be in the land of plenty. And uh, the reality is that we know that even in America, the most blessed nation on the face of the earth, it takes hard work, it takes education, it takes application, it takes ingenuity, it takes, there. it's, 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 it's there's no guarantee, but the more sinister aspect is that now, since these people are coming through the southern border in Mexico, much of this is controlled by the drug cartels. Mm-hmm. And in, uh, you ask for personal experiences. Well, I'll give you one. I had the opportunity to be contacted and you know, actually have a sit down interview with a fairly highly placed um, 
immigration official, somebody who works for the Border Patrol itself. And uh, this individual asked to remain anonymous. He's fairly high ranking. He's been with the Border Patrol for most of his professional career. And their retirement age is 57. And so he's a couple of years away from that. He's just trying to make the best do that he can. And even he is and was, I interviewed him this past summer, he was shocked at the transformation that has taken place in his department and what they are allowed to do and what they are told to do now as opposed to the way it has basically always been during his career. And let me specify by saying that what he said now is that he said, you've seen, obviously, these white transportation buses. They look like, you know, kind of the the kind of buses that you see that transport people, you know, not Greyhound buses or whatever, but, you know, the nice touring buses. Uh-huh. If somebody came to the United States from wherever and were to get on a touring bus and take a special tour of the Grand Canyon, Arizona, whatever, those kinds of buses, those those kinds of very nice buses. And another friend... Um, and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll wrap this up and I'll, I'll bring this together. It's just a second. So it's just, you know, the stream of consciousness here and so many. Go ahead. No problem. Uh, my entertainment. But, um, <laughs> another friend on a plane coming to Tucson sat next to a person that actually refits and outfits these buses. And their biggest customer right now is the federal government. So where does this come together for the immigration service and the and, and the buses and all that sort of thing? He said, the the um, the border patrol official told me that all of our officers now get their CDL license, they get their commercial driver's license in this, whatever state they are, because their main occupation now is the transportation of people coming across the border. Mm-hmm. So uh, much of the immigration in Mexico that actually happens within the United States, and we see that it's happening by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands is actually controlled by the Mexican drug cartels. Their biggest industry right now is the trafficking of human beings into the United States and getting them to the border and getting them to a border crossing, whether it's at San Ysidro in uh, California or Yuma in Arizona or here in um, Lukeville, Arizona, which is right across the border from Mexico or Nogales, Eagle Pass, Texas, Mm -hmm. or Brownsville or McAllen, wherever it is. That is all controlled by the cartels. And they charge on average about $8,500 per person to get that person across to the U.S. And then they're on their own. And uh, it's 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 a huge industry now. It's a billion dollar industry. So obviously they have a great stake in it. But he said what happens is so. So, for instance, at Nogales, at the port of entry or wherever these illegal immigrants come across, then it's not as though they're processed necessarily by the immigration service because it's, the numbers are so massive. They are simply transported, they're transported up to Tucson. There is a non-governmental organization, NGO. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times these are funded by Catholic charities, but they're also funded by the State Department. They're funded by the U.S. government. Uh, these people are processed not for the purpose of immigration. They're given, you know, OK, you have a court date. Uh, we want you to appear in this court, you know, to hear your hearing because you feel like you deserve to uh, go through the immigration process. Your court date is uh, 2027, 2028. Well, <laughs> they're not going to show up. Uh, they're not going to show up for their court dates. They're already in the nation. They're not going to come back. And the numbers now are in the multiple mega millions, maybe tens of billions there's no way these individuals can be tracked down and brought to trial. I mean, it's it's just it's it's ludicrous. So, what he was exasperated about the uh, border patrol agent is that our jobs have changed. We we can't even interdict drugs any longer. We don't have any time for that because we're too busy transporting people up to the NGOs and then they stay in a. It, in in Tucson, it doesn't affect us because we're kind of a stopping point. We don't have bands of illegal immigrants roaming the streets in Tucson now, by the way, mm-hmm. because they go elsewhere into the country. Mm-hmm. They stay at a night. There's there's about five or six different fairly large hotels that house these people for a night or two. And then they're off to by bus to or by van or by plane to various parts of the parts of the country. It's it's an incredible network that is planned and organized. That's why I said at the beginning we have to consider that this is a planned operation. It's not an accidental thing where people are just simply fleeing hostility in their own nation. It's Venezuela opening up their prisons and and, and, 
and, and sending people off to the United States. It's people from 170 nations on earth coming into the United States. It's Pakistanis and Indians and Russians and Ukrainians, and then many from the Middle East and Haitians. And, and it just, it's a massive migration, the scale of which we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it's got to be planned somehow, because how in the world could I be dumped off somewhere and somebody pick me up on a bus, take me to a hotel, feed me, and then have me sent off to another destination? There's, there's got to be something more to this. And can't people figure that out and ask why would somebody want to do that? Yeah. And, and why would our leaders in the United States want this to happen? And uh, you may have seen the testimony given by Alejandro uh, Mayorkas, Homeland Security uh, head in Congress, where he was questioned on 85,000 children that have gone missing in the last three years, which is an incredible number. 80, 85,000 kids, they have no idea where they are. So it has lent um, the credence to the theory and the idea that we have a, not only, you know, just migration of people trying to get into the United States, but we've got one of the biggest child, slave, maybe sex trafficking organizations in the history of mankind taking place right in our nation today. And this is what many experts believe. And we saw one of the great hit movies uh, this past summer right. actually covered, covered the fact that it was a very touching movie. Sound and, of Freedom. It, it, you saw that, yes. the Sound of Freedom, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's real. It's being facilitated in the United States, and it's heartbreaking. The, uh, For instance, uh, in one of my uh, latest, uh, by the way, thank you for your submission to worldnewsandprophecyreview.com, <laughs> uh, great article, and in one of my articles uh, just prior to that, speaking about this, speaking about the, the illegal invasion of America, the Border Patrol agent sent me just one picture. Now, I could have had I could have used more. But here are three siblings, all under the age of seven, apparently a brother and two sisters that are just unaccompanied coming into the United States. Now, how does that happen? But we've seen previous videos of this happening in McAllen, Texas and Brownsville, Texas, where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of children from Central and South America that are being dumped off at our borders. For what reason? No parents. It's 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 so mind boggling. And even the agent told me almost in tears, Vic, that at the border at Nogales in Tucson, they discovered the border agents discovered a newly born infant that was left there to die. And they thankfully found this baby, took it to a local hospital and was able to save its life. But how many people are drowning in the Rio Grande River? How many people are being killed in Mexico by the cartels because they can't pay? How many people are suffering? Uh, the uh, A young girl of eight years old was found to have the DNA of 42 men in her oh. by the time that she was taken to the hospital in southern Arizona. This is uh, a shocking indictment against the leadership of our nation, and it, it, it's it's so mind-boggling, and I think that it it is such a distortion of reality and of our daily life. It is so shocking to people that they come to the conclusion this can't be happening. It's what I call the normalcy quotient, uh, which in which what is happening in the fulfillment of prophecy is so shocking and so crazy. That even those of us that have known these things are going to happen for so long. It's so mind-boggling that we can't accept it as a reality. And, and here, here we uh, uh, say it can't get any worse. And guess what? In a week or two, it gets worse. And, and, and we try to yes. adjust for that. At what point are, is it going to be a breaking where no, no more? I, I look at the last, last articles even about the border crisis where people are crying out Eagle Pass and other places, enough, enough of this kind of thing. Stop the madness. And, you know, you bring up Eagle Pass, and there has been, as there was in Ottawa, Canada last year, there was this great conflagration of truckers that trucked across Canada and protested at Ottawa, protested the Canadian government. And, you know, the same things are happening in, in England and much of Europe as well. You know these things as well, that uh, migration from the Middle East has happened. The, you know, the, the more and more Muslims moving into it. it it's been a worldwide phenomenon. And now it's hitting the United States shores. It, it, it's just such a dramatic thing that is happening now that it's, and we're such a big country that 
a lot of these people are being dispersed, but at what point does it become too much and overwhelm the system? I think it happens when the money runs out and when they do not renew the debit cards that many of these people are given as they come into the country, preloaded with two or $3,000 and then sent off. Uh, where do they go? Where do they live? Right now, a lot of them are, are actually camped out in Logan National Air, International Airport in Boston, in Chicago, O'Hare. They, if you're there, you can go through and you can see the barriers where they put up barriers to where the illegal immigrants are just sleeping in the airport. At some point, we come to the tipping point, right? I mean, it always happens. Uh, if you don't stop a problem in its tracks, then it it continues to the point to where it really creates a dramatic reaction. I think that at this stage, many Americans are aware of what is happening at the border on a peripheral basis, but it doesn't affect us. It doesn't affect us personally. And, mm. you know, the, we really pay attention to things when they begin to affect us in a very personal way. Right. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we have a massive country. People are sent to Salt Lake City. They're sent to Chicago. They're sent to Idaho. They're sent to California. They're spread out all over the nation, and uh, apparently wherever they want to go, wherever they've heard about, that, wherever they might have somebody else that is from their country living there, they go there in hopes of finding whatever, being able to settle in the United States. But it really becomes an incredible indictment against our leaders who have allowed this and who have encouraged it, as a matter of fact, and who are not stopping it because we it is a policy change. It is something that has been allowed. It's a it's different than, you know, how you got here, mm -hmm. how your parents got here, how my mother got here and, and so many other Americans. It's but I think it reaches the tipping point when the money runs out and a lot of these folks are being funded. But getting back to what I said earlier about an orchestrated plan, you've got to go to the nation of Panama and that is where a lot of these folks are coming from, the Chinese, the uh, Haitians. And they, they, they come, they go to Panama. There are camps that are set up there, massive camps sponsored by NGOs and by various organizations, by the UN, by the U.S. State Department, football field-like encampments, mm -hmm. dozens of them all through. And, and even the former U.S. Army base in Panama is now dedicated to a processing area where Upon arrival, they stay there and they get prepared with maps and with guidelines from the Red Cross and everything. I mean, mm -hmm. some of these humanitarian organizations aren't the friends of the United States. They're actually outlining, here's what you do, here's exactly what you do when you get to the border, and blah, blah, blah. So it's it's an orchestrated plan. It is, it is definitely something that is well-organized and includes a lot of various quote unquote, charitable things that are going, that are groups, non-governmental organizations. So it has the backing of uh, someone or something, and it's, it's, not, it's not eventually going to be good for them or good for all the rest of us as a nation. And the people who will suffer the most will be the people themselves who are coming over. They are human beings. They have feelings. They have minds. And when they come over and they come to this millennial setting of the United States. It's not what it is. And we, it's hard to explain that to somebody in these countries, that it's not what you see it is. When I talked to my relatives, when they said, how much money do you make? You know, and I'd kind of let them know and, you know, about where, oh, that's a lot of money. I said, do you know what a hospital room stay, you know, in this country costs? <laughs> and I told him what some of the expenses are, what it costs for us to live in our house. And if we don't pay that, we'll be thrown out of our home. And they said, oh, they gasped at that. They just didn't have any idea it's, of that. It's hard to... It's hard to comprehend. And, it's, even, it's and totally... even the people that we sponsored over here, they went back to Ukraine after a while because they missed their kids. They, they have children. They have grandchildren. And the, even they missed their cow. You know, they missed all the life that they had back there. And it's very, very sad to see that type of thing happen. It's so inhumane. It is inhumane. And, you know, the... the, the what when we go back to the bible and we see that god intended for israel to be an example to other nations and that they could become like israel if they followed the same laws mm -hmm. and i think we see the same thing happening in 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 some ways in various nations around the world 
that have become prosperous where they have maybe mimicked some of the style of governance and maybe laws and, you know, adherence to law and lawmaking and individual rights and freedoms, then they have experienced some of those same kind of blessings. So it's, it's, it's not magic, but if they in their own countries could have experienced what began by the framers of the Constitution, uh, they could have that. But I guess that's eventually a lesson that all people are going to have to learn when Jesus returns, right? Right. And they just don't realize that it, they just don't realize all that is involved in doing that. In some ways, it's, it's very simple. It's just being honest. You know, it's not stealing. Yeah. You know, my, my, my sister actually uh, was hired to go to uh, Moldova after the USSR fell apart. And her job was to transform a state farm, you know, where they collectivized all these farms, into private enterprise. And they sent her over there because she was already a CFO and she was already knowledgeable, of course, in accounting, and also she spoke Russian. And when she went over there, she was just appalled as to what what she saw. About half the produce from the farms was stolen. People were unmotivated. It wasn't their farm. It was, you know, it was the government's. It, there was absolutely no no feeling towards it. And so the things that she had to teach these people was self-respect, respect for other people's properties, tell the truth, don't steal, don't walk out of the off of work, you don't take a kilo of cheese to go home with you. It's just a normal thing. And so people have to be taught these basic things. Ties into the whole thing that what, in some cases, people that have lived under tyranny, have lived under uh, uh, horrible, horrible governments, have to have to be enlightened by what it means to be free, what it means. It, it, it requires responsibility. And, and the law of God requires all of that, along with granting freedom. And the more you look at the first five books of the Bible, you more you see that there was the inspiration of our own constitution and declaration of independence and the yearning for freedom. And, you know, the even when you go back to the famous pilgrim story, with William Bradford, you find that the first year, you know, they, they tried to do things and share all things together, and it was a disaster. Mm -hmm. They did have some help from the Indians and that sort of thing. But the next year, William Bradford gave everybody a plot of land and said, you got, you're responsible for taking care of this. It was really one of the first examples of free enterprise in the very beginning of, of the nation. And from that point on, people were productive because before they weren't. You know, some people were thought, well, why do I have to work so hard if we're all going to share together? And it, that just doesn't work. So mm. the very basic things. But I, I don't know where we might want to go with this, uh, Victor, but it's it's really a um, on a humanitarian level. It's it's appalling and shocking. And I lay the I lay the, you know, some of the blame, a lot of the blame on the fact that there are a lot of people up the food chain that are making some money on this and whether they're political leaders or whether they're whether they're people that are ashamed of what america has become it's happening it's real and just the other day i was in our local walmart doing a little bit of shopping i saw two young chinese age male both about six feet tall both look like they're in military trim and and some of the rumors that have been going on is that there are sleeper cells that are Chinese that are um, we've got uh, there's a great connection between Hamas and Venezuela. We've got a lot of Venezuelans that are coming into this nation and various other groups from the Middle East. So if we if if we understand that 9-11 was caused by Islamic terrorists, then. I mean, we've got a lot more of them in this nation now than we ever have been. And we don't even know how many terrorists have been allowed who are on the terror watch list have been allowed. We, we just have no clue. There could be hundreds, thousands, dozens, who knows? Well, decades ago, you know, uh, we had prophetic sermons about the stranger shall rise up in your midst. And we didn't know who that was, whether it was a certain race or what, whatever it was. And you know, there were a lot of distortions of, uh, of that particular passage. But I have never seen it be more fulfilled than what I see now by all these people coming in, which are who are strangers. They are people coming into your home. They're people who are walking into your home in Tucson or into my home here and wanting re refuge there. And, and we're, just, we're just letting them in, people who have no connection to you, people who don't even love you. All they love is what, 
but what they see. And there's no connectivity, there's no relationships built, it's all greed, and it has only one way to go, and that's to collapse. And that's, that, that's the sad part of it, is that in the end, this whole thing will fall apart. And might mention one, one thing, too, is that uh, these nations who have some very, very strict, even religious and cultural rules that they live by, 9-11 took place. I was very well, well acquainted with uh, the director of foreign students at a, uh, at a lo local college. In fact, I spoke there about life nets. And her husband was Muslim. And of course, everybody was appalled by what happened at 9-11 and that was done by Islamic terrorists. But she said it was interesting what the buzz with the Islamic students was. We're very sorry about what happened to American citizens. We're very sorry for the nearly 3,000 people that died in the towers of 9-11. But you know what she said? What they're saying now is America has some things to learn. I mean, they, they, wow. they, 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 saw, they saw the a kind of culture, music, pornography, all this type of thing that was out there, the sinful way that our people lived, and that was something that was not acceptable. And even I found, too, is that in Ukraine, my first visits there, it was, it some, it was somewhat Puritan, you know, in, in how uh, things were shown. There was no pornography, or at least, at least visible. And the, the people were, uh, seemed pure. But then a few years after the USSR fell apart, one of the shocking things was is that American media was coming to these countries. And I recall that even our Sabbatarian churches, the first year there was TVs and everybody, you know, kind of watching with freedom, we can see all this stuff and, and w w things that were forbidden for us to, to see. In a couple of years, and in, in my subsequent visits, they saw that, well, the, the shows that America exported, first of all, were Dallas reruns, MTV, you know, all this type of thing, which was just totally foreign to them. And even the people with the Sabbath keepers who saw, hey, this isn't good. This isn't good for our kids. And so they actually forbade or discouraged people have TVs because that's how they were getting this culture, which in one sense they envy, in other sense they detest what they do. Well, that's incredible observation on their part and an accurate one, and it shows the decadence of our society and certainly the wrong values being exported. That's one thing that uh, Jacob has has been, you know, able to overtake his walls and, you know, colonize and export ideas. The other thing I think that, you know, like you, I, I've come into contact with a lot of uh, people of, you know, from the from around the Middle East, called on a lot of physicians from, you know, from Iran, from Beirut, from um, virtually every Middle Eastern country, Turkey, um, Jordan, whatever, uh, many of them American citizens became American citizens, but still felt close to their homeland. What I think we have to understand is, as Americans, that our nation has been involved in all of those areas of the world in some, I, I don't know how to put this really without it making, making it sound like I'm un-American, but we've been involved in those nations in promoting wars for decades that never end. And you have to wonder why. And, you know, even our response in 9-11 was to attack Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9-11. And then Afghanistan, where, you know, some guy was apparently hiding in the mountains, so supposedly, and we're going after one guy. And we're, we're, we're kind of going in and occupying these nations, trying to nation build and do things that, you know, I mean, we killed a million people in Iraq, for instance, 500,000 of them children. Maybe there's a reason that some of those nations are angry at us mm -hmm. and for what we have done. I mean, we, we are now wanting to get into a war and, you know, fight a proxy war with Russia. I think that was avoidable, avoidable to begin with. I, I know this may be off the topic somewhat of illegal immigration, but I think it all comes together. And we have so many of these things, Vic, that are coming at us that uh, we know that Satan is the master of confusion and chaos and anarchy. And I see this happening within the world at large, and especially now in the United States with all of these things that we're involved in. Well, I think that as we talk about prophetic things, we're seeing that the end could come many different ways. 
at, at a very unexpected way. You were talking about uh, some of the hypocrisy of the U.S. as being a great leader in the world and being responsible for the death of uh, uh, multiple people. I know that even in the uh, NGO world, and I run an NGO for 25 years myself, I wanted to get into uh, some of the funding from USAID. And uh, I found it was a very interesting world. Aid was dependent upon U.S. policy overseas. And one of the times that we applied for aid was during the tsunami to try to get aid for rebuilding homes in Sri Lanka. And they said that, uh, well, aid will be available to you depending upon who wins the next election between the Tamils and the other group. And so we, we can't tell you if your application for aid, for humanitarian aid, will be approved until uh, we find out who wins the election. It so happened that the wrong group won the election, and so we were denied. It, but it was well, t- totally based upon U.S. policy. And to me, that was interesting because all that does is cause resentment between groups over there. And it shows the, yes, the hypocrisy of our nation. Well, as you circle back, you know, it's a very interesting observation on non-governmental organizations, but as you circle back to our, our topic at hand, illegal immigration, it's almost as if some of these charities run by religious organizations are basically rubber stamped to run the policy uh, that is officially recognized by the United States government. And that's what a lot of investigative reporters have discovered and found as they interviewed some of these immigrants as they're coming across. And I would, before we close, I'd like to at least alert your listeners to a couple of people that I follow. I mean, there are more than this, but Michael Yan is a war correspondent of many, many years. He's embedded himself down in Panama and he goes, travels from Panama to China, to the Ukraine, to various areas. He goes all over the place. His, uh, the spelling of his name is Y-O-N. You can find him on various social media outlets. Also, another really great source is a young man that is a correspondent uh, by the name of Ben Berkwam. That's B-E-R-Q-U-A-M. You can find him on X. But he, he reports for Real America's Voice. And mm-hmm. these are not establishment-type uh, journalists, but they have incredible insight. We barely even touched the surface on, on what they have discovered. But even in, I live in the second largest county in the United States, Pima County. Much of it is vast deserts, almost the size of the nation of Israel, by the way. But uh-huh. it's um, incredible that there are vast areas where, I mean, they have these camps, these migrant camps where people can, you know, they're brought up by the coyotes from the border and they can rest there and whatever before they make their way. Now, these are the people that want to, they, they want to remain in the shadows. There are a lot of people that they don't even have to remain in the shadows anymore, try to escape the border patrol because they're not being chased. They're just being led into the country. So it's it's a big subject. And, I'm going uh, to include in the uh, show notes or the notes with this podcast, the Twitter feed, the X feed for those two particular people. You just sent them to me before uh, we had this podcast. But I feel like we just touched upon a topic that is very burning, very hot, and one that a lot more could be said. And I'm hoping that we could have follow-up because the news changes continually. And, and Steve, I would like to be able to have you speak more on this subject. Uh, I appreciate it. I, uh, one thing that we, we hadn't touched upon, and uh, you mentioned the the Eagle Pass situation, and I, I know that there are uh, masses of trucks that are heading down there, convoys to protest, because that has been a very major illegal entry point where multiple, multiple tens of thousands of people have come across the border. I hope and pray that there is nothing bad that goes on or like a false flag that could happen, which is, I think, an easy, it would be an easy potential problem. I mean, people are even talking about civil war in this nation where you've got many states that are aligned against the Biden administration policy of open borders and sending National Guard troops to the border to help Texas defend its own border. So let's hope that nothing bad happens. And I mean, we can always hope and pray that people are protected, right? I mean, that's that's essential. Well, yes, and that's uh, a thing that is very, very concerning is to the tensions building up and somebody trigger-happy, you know, set something off that 
with tempers flaring already could become something very, very dangerous. So anyway, Steve, thank you very much. I'd, I, I would like to be able to continue this discussion, but I think that it's one that might be very easy to continue because the news is continually coming in. And I appreciate the work that you do with World News and Prophecy. I'm glad to see your uh, articles there. I see one by uh, David Elliott from the UK uh, about the nation of uh, Great Britain and uh, it's collapsing. Uh, anyway, it's just uh, something that I feel like we need to keep people abreast of in a very balanced and thoughtful way. Well, I'm, I'm appreciative of your submission, David's, and uh, you know I'll I'll, uh, I'll be happy to entertain other authors because uh, we we I, I mean this is uh, I love being able to present this information to people. So to your to your audience, uh, got any fledgling writers out there? I can't promise I'll publish everything, but uh, I'll certainly take a look. Well, we have a number of newsletters uh, by pastors of the church, and uh, they they take different forms. Some of them are little news snippets, others are newsletters, some of them are written by the pastor. But I feel it's good to perhaps put some of these, tie these together or have the one refer to, to, to another, but I really do like yours and the way it's organized. So Steve, it's just been really, really great having you uh, on the program or on our podcast today, and uh, we'll talk again. Thank you, Vic. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to us today on The Cubic Report. We welcome you to share this podcast and tell your friends about it. We can be found on a variety of platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, and many other platforms. You can easily find us at any browser address box by typing in the words, The Cubic Report, and there we are. Remember, Cubic is spelled K-U-B-I-K. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at vcubic at gmail.com. That's vkubik at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Come back soon for more.